Matthew chapter 19 now, verse 3. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? I just want to clarify what this means is in first century uh, culture, women had no rights. Women were basically seen as less than human. They were, they were way below um, how they should have been treated as created in the image of God. And so men had all of the divorce power and divorce authority. Women could actually not divorce their husbands. Only men could divorce their wives. And um, so women had no, no right in this. It, it kind of helps you to understand John chapter 4 when the woman at the well had been married five times. You know, we think of her as some bad woman. No, she had been left five different times. And so she's actually a victim of a very toxic culture. And so look what Jesus says. He goes, you're talking about the culture, and you're talking about how how divorce works. Haven't you read? Yo. Haven't you read the Bible? That in the beginning, the creator, God Almighty, created them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Well, why then did Moses command that a man give uh, his wife a certificate of divorce to send her away? Again, don't read this and think that there's a command to divorce. The command was to at least give the woman something so that she could prove she was free from the relationship. So this, this isn't, again, this command is not abusive to women. Moses actually said, hey, if you're going to leave her, at least give her something so that she could prove she's free so she can remarry. So this is actually God protecting the woman. Look what Jesus said, though. But Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Don't, don't, don't try to find a Bible passage to justify what you want to do. The moment your heart is hard, you will then go to the scripture to find a scripture to tell you what you want to hear. Jesus said, your hearts are hard, man. But this was not the way from the beginning. I, I have a better way for you. I want the marriage to work. I don't, I don't, I don't want it to be separated. I want to join you together. So I'm going to preach from this subject, for better or worse, for better or worse. And I want to thank uh, especially Pastor Jimmy Evans, Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, two pastors who are also uh, um, marriage experts who um, have just given me so much resource and so much of their, their books and their teachings have truly impacted my life. And I'll definitely be echoing some of their sentiments tonight because... Um, They've transformed our marriage, and I know they're going to be used to help you tonight as well, for better or worse. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for your word. We thank you tonight for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit that I believe is going to speak in such a clear and profound way. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen Amen. and amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. For better or for worse. Uh, Funny that we say that little statement uh, when we're getting married, and um, we say it, but we don't mean it. (laughs) 
We're all emotional, we're happy, we're crying, we're there at the wedding, and we look into that person, we look at that girl's eyes, we look at that guy's eyes, and we go, for better or for worse, baby. But, but we say it, but we don't mean it. What we, what we mean is for better or for better, because our marriage is just going to get better and better and better and better. And anything I don't like about you, I'm going to change you, and it's only going to get better. So we don't believe the worst. We don't believe that our marriage is ever going to experience worse moments. And most marriages end, watch me, most marriages end not because of some great tragedy. It's not usually because of an affair. It's not usually because of adultery. It's not usually because of domestic abuse or violence. Most marriages end because of irres- ir- irreconcilable, excuse me, fourth service of the day, irreconcilable differences. This is why most marriages in America end, irreconcilable differences. Here's what that means. Maybe you've never heard this before. All that means is the inability to agree. You're different. You're not who I thought you were. I can't change you. We can't agree. I'm out. So here's what marriage is. Marriage is the process of becoming one. It's the process of becoming one. Here's what I want you to think about. The moment you get married, something very holy and sacred happens. You make a covenant with each other. You make a covenant with God. And then that day, you consummate the marriage. And you have sexual relations. And our encouragement from the Bible is to wait to have sex until you're married. Now, if you're single and having sex, you can stop. Do y'all know that? You can stop. You can stop. Okay. So you can, because you're an adult, you can stop. And so, and I would encourage you to stop and to wait until you get married. Here's why. Not because I'm a prude or not because I'm a boomer or not because I'm some weird, mean, old preacher. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that sexuality is not just physical. That there is a spiritual thing that happens that you literally become one in that moment. And it's very sacred. It's very holy. First Corinthians 6 says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are a sacred creation of God. And you shouldn't just give that. The, the, the wording that Paul uses is you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't give yourself to the temples of idols. In other words, don't just give yourself away. But wait until that sacred moment of marriage. And so... In marriage and in the wedding day, we become one. But now we have to begin the process of becoming one. Think of it like salvation. The moment you gave your life to Christ, you're saved. Born again. It is finished. Done. Going to heaven. Jesus is Lord. God is your Father. Boom. Saved. The Bible word for this is justified. Just as if you've never sinned. Just before a holy and righteous God made holy, purified by the blood of Jesus. And when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of God. This is good news. Give me an amen, okay? So you're justified, saved. But now that you're saved, here's the next big Bible word. You become sanctified. Sanctified is when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and starts transforming you into the image of Jesus. He starts changing you. So you got saved but now you're being saved. One day you're going to step over into eternity and you will be saved. 
No more sin, no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, no more disease, no more, no more struggle, no more poverty, no more. It's, man, it's going to be a great day. So I've been saved. I am being saved. One day I will be saved. And marriage is the same thing. We are one, but now we are becoming one. So you get married and you've got different opinions, you've got different views, you've got different experiences, you've got different ideas, you've got different genders, different, different, different. And so usually what happens is opposites attract and then opposites attack. Because here's how we come into marriage usually. This is how most Americans come into into America and into marriage. Yo, that nap hit different today. You know what I'm saying? We, uh, we, we come into marriage with our hopes, dreams, and desires. Okay, here, here's what that means. It's our value system, and it's how we see the world. So we come into marriage with how we resolve conflict, how we spend our money, how I keep the house, how I communicate, how I feel loved, how many kids I'm going to have the kind of house I'm going to live in, the kind of car I'm going to drive. They're my hopes, they're my dreams, and they're my desires. And, and none of them are wrong. Those are all good. But what feels like hopes, dreams, and desires to you can feel like expectations to your spouse. And that's where we start having conflict. So what should be enjoyable starts to feel transactional. And once it's transactional, we now begin to negotiate. Well, we did, we did what you wanted to do last time. I want to do what I want to do. Well, we visited your family last time. I want to visit my family. Well, we ate at your favorite restaurant last time. I want to eat at my favorite restaurant. Well, you blew the budget three months ago. Now it's my time turn to, throw, to blow the budget. It's, now, now, if you're naive, you would hear that and go, well, no, isn't that just compromise? It's not. It's negotiation. And, and here's the problem with negotiation. The strongest negotiator wins. That's why there's married couples in here like, no, there's nothing wrong. We do that all the time. Yeah, because you're probably the strongest negotiator. (laughs) You're like, I love my marriage. Yeah, because, okay. That's why you should be here. So what happens is the strongest negotiator wins, which makes the other spouse feel disempowered and unloved. See, a negotiation cannot happen without a winner and a loser. And that means if I'm winning, Shannon's losing. If Shannon's winning, I'm losing. That's negotiation. Compromise is we win and the marriage wins. Marriage should not have winners and losers. That only comes from negotiation. That only comes from transactional. That only comes from expectations. And so here's what happens. If you allow this to grow in your marriage, distance sets in. And it starts, number one, by you just start ignoring your spouse. You stop talking, you stop sharing your feelings, you stop sharing your dreams, you stop sharing your, your heart, you just, you just start ignoring each other. Things just start getting colder. After that, you just start getting busier, you start working more, you start traveling more, you start getting more hobbies, you just, you just find ways, you, you hang out with more people outside of the marriage, you just, you just try to stay busy, and then eventually, if, it, if it's not resolved, and many of you are in one or two, and if you don't resolve it, eventually it will lead, usually, to divorce, where you just leave, where you end up separating. And so now let me just say this to dating people and even engaged people. If your hopes, dreams, and desires 
do not line up with your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance's hopes, dreams, and desires. I would seriously consider ending the relationship. Here's why. Because you're on your best behavior. (laughs) All the married people say amen to this preacher. All these single people mad at me, you're like, you don't know me, you don't know. I do know. I know a lot. You're on your best behavior, bruh. So if, you're, if you've got conflict in your best behavior, you just wait till you get married and your worst starts showing up. If there's no alignment with your best behavior, there is going to be massive conflict with your worst behavior. But now if you're married, I want to encourage you to stick it out and work it out. I want to encourage you to try to make it work. Again, I'm not talking about abuse or adultery or those kind of things. I'm talking about if there's just differences, I would encourage you to work it out. I would encourage you to try to make the marriage work. And the reason is, is because if you leave that marriage and try to start over, even if you feel like right now I married the wrong one, I missed it. They're not the one. They're not my soulmate. Well, you said I do, so you're, you're in. So I'd encourage you to stick it out. Because what you're going to do is you're going to leave that marriage. And I love what Andy Stanley says, wherever you go, there you are. So you, you start dating or you get married to a new person, but you're the same person. And you're going to bring all that same stuff with you. Because in reality, you're just going to bring your set of hopes, dreams, and desires again to this new marriage. And then you're going to get frustrated if they don't celebrate your hopes, dreams, and desires. So the better thing to do is try to work on that together as a married couple and try to work it out, fight for it, do all you can to try to succeed in this marriage because it's proven now over and over again that the more times you get married, the higher the divorce rate goes. Because we're looking for new things in a new relationship, but it's the same us. No shame. I'm just telling you, if you are divorced, I would really ask God to heal your heart. Or if you've been sexually active, I'd really ask God to heal you and mend your heart before you enter into another serious relationship. Or what you're going to do is you're just going to enter into that relationship with your hopes, dreams, and desires. You're going to give them to that person, and you're going to wonder why it's not working. Because here's the reality. Once you've come out of something, you're usually not entering into the next relationship with this heart to serve and give your life away to another person. You're entering into a relationship to be celebrated for your hopes, dreams, and desires. So you're going in with the wrong motive. You're not going in with, I love you and I want to serve God with you. And I, you're going in with, can you celebrate these things that the last person didn't celebrate? And if that's your motive, and again, if you're broken, you may not even know that. But if your heart's hurting, you'll go in with that expectation. And then you'll wonder why, well, why are they doing the same thing? It's not that they're doing the same thing. It's that you haven't allowed the Spirit of God to heal your heart before you're ready. So I, I'd encourage you, I'd wait at least two years. Jabin, can I be single for two years? You can. You can. 
you can because two years of letting the Holy Spirit work on you, I'm just throwing out a number. I'd throw out five, but y'all would stone me, so I'd just still go with two. <laughs> if you would just, uh, for real, because two years of allowing the Spirit of God to do a work in you to heal you will do so much more for your future than just rushing into another thing. Okay. So I know I just said a lot, and it's already quiet. I said this morning, this is the quietest sermon. <laughs> it's a new record. We're, we're, City Light is three years and one week old, and this is the quietest sermon by far I've ever preached. And I love it. And I don't think it's quiet because you're mad at me. I think it's quiet because everybody's just thinking, okay? So we all thinking. And praise the Lord, we're going to think together. But here's what, I, here, here's what happy couples know. By the way, you're looking at a happily married man. My wife and I love each other. August 4th, we'll celebrate 15 years. Praise God. Uh, and, and you're looking at two very opposite people. We're like opposites and so we don't just have a great chemistry that just worked we had to work at it we had to work at it we got married at 20 and 22 we were young and we had a lot of hormones (laughs) and then we had to work on everything else praise the lord okay so uh Why y'all laughing? And so we are happily married, but we're, we're happily married. Here's what I know happy couples know. They got to work at it. They got to work. It doesn't just happen. You don't just meet the one. You got to work at it. You got to work at it. And so I'm just going to give you three today. We're going we're to keep on this conversation. Here's what ca- happy couples know. Number one, you have to commit. You have to commit. I'm talking about inward heart commitment to your spouse. Here's what Jesus said in verse 5. We go back. For this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. This isn't just a scripture about disconnecting from family. Think of it as your past. I'm leaving one set of relationships and I'm uniting to a new relationship. The priority that these relationships have no longer carry the weight of this new relationship. I'm leaving and I'm uniting. Marriage is leaving and uniting. Doesn't mean you can't be close to your family. Doesn't mean you have to lose all your friends. Doesn't, it doesn't mean all that. It just means that in my heart, there is a commitment that I'm leaving the old and I'm committing, uniting to the new. And if you don't get this, your marriage won't work. It will not work. And you won't be happy. Your heart has to turn from that set of relationships as taking priority to this relationship taking priority. Shannon Chavez, my wife, has the most authoritative voice in my life. And it's not because I'm weak, it's because I'm smart. And it's not just because I'm smart, it's because I'm godly and because I believe the Bible. Mama and Dada don't have, Mama and Dada, I've got a four-year-old. Mom and Dad, my parents, do not have 
the loudest voice in my life. My board of directors, my pastors do not have the loudest voice in my life. You do not have the loudest voice in my life. My staff does not have the loudest voice. The, the voice that carries the most weight in my life is my wife's. And, and as long as what she's saying isn't going against this, it's God. And guess what? And the same goes for her. My voice carries the most weight in her life, more than her parents, more than the, more than the board of directors, our, our oversight, more than anyone else. We, we, because we had to choose to leave and unite. This matters because it's an inward commitment. It, it's, it, this is really between you and God. This is, this is something that you have to decide in your heart that I'm turning my heart over to my spouse. Okay, so marriage is leaving one group of relationships to unite to one relationship. What I'm talking about is priority. Again, I'm not talking about cutting off family. I'm not talking about cutting off friends. What I'm talking about is priority. The marriage gets priority. Your spouse gets priority. This matters. This is a big thing. And, and it actually takes some getting used to. Because as you were dating or even engaged, you still kind of had a level of freedom. And again, I'm not talking about control, but you had a level of freedom that now as you're married, you have to make that change that your spouse takes priority. Um, marriage requires the inward commitment to your spouse. Okay, so um, let me say it. Let me say it like this. Before there is resentment, before there is anger, before there is frustration, before there, you know, God forbid, uh, an affair, people cross this line in their heart where they begin to think of their life outside of the marriage. They, they, it's, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10. They, they allow their imagination to think outside of the marriage. They let themselves go there. And over time, if you, don't, if you don't handle that, that will grow. And so marriage requires the daily decision to commit to your spouse. Daily decision. Daily decision. Now see, everyone at this service is basically young. So y'all don't believe me. That's why you're quiet. Because you, you don't think it works like this. But it's so funny today in our morning services where we have a little older crowd, a married couple 50 years, married couple 32 years, married couple 23 years, another married couple like 35 years, all came up to me and went, I really hope that the young people are listening to you because we, we love each other. We have such an amazing marriage, but it's because we're practicing what you're saying. And it's that daily commitment. It's that daily thing. My wife and I, 15 years in, daily thing. We still got to work at it. We still got to keep the marriage fresh. We still got to, we still got to love on each other. We still have to communicate. We still have to care for each other. It, it does, we don't ever go into autopilot. It's the daily decision to commit to your spouse and to commit to your future. And some days it's so easy. Some days it feels like you're on your honeymoon and other days you got to work at it. Can I get an amen from anybody who's okay? And it's worth it. 
and it's worth it. You have to commit. There has to be an inward commitment. Number two, you need counsel. Here's what, here's what happy couples know. You need counsel. Let no one, everyone say no one. Jesus said, let no one separate. That means that if you're not careful, voices can be allowed into your life that separate you. And Jesus says it is important as a married couple to let no one separate you. You need godly voices that speak into your marriage. People, watch this, who want to see your marriage succeed and not just see you happy. One more time. You need people in your life that want to see your marriage succeed and not just you be happy. Because you know this to be true. You can find people who have a bias for you that will tell you what you want to hear because they love you. I need people in my life that don't just want me to be happy. They want the marriage to work. I need to make sure that the voices in my life are just as committed to Shannon as they are to me. I need voices in my life that want us as a couple to work and not just me as an individual to win. So I have to be careful who I open my life up to that I don't start listening to voices that cause me to want to be happy but no longer want me to serve my spouse. Let no one separate. This is a decision of your will as a married couple to not let voices of separation into your marriage that will, will tell you what you want to hear. Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6 says that there are the wounds of a friend or the kisses of an enemy. And a lot of times we would rather have the kiss of an enemy. Remember, Judas kissed Jesus. You can find an enemy to kiss you. In other words, you can find an enemy to tell you what you want to hear. But I'll take the wounds of a friend. In other words, I'll take the hard truth that I need to hear instead of the kiss that I want to hear. Amen, preacher. All right, thank you. Let no one separate. There will be plenty of voices that will try to separate your marriage. Some will be well-intentioned. Others will be ill-intentioned. Some just love you and don't really trust your spouse, so they'll just tell you what you want to hear, but if you're not careful, they'll separate. Others are ill-intentioned. They actually want to break you up. And you have to be careful. So I'm going to lay it out there. Here we go. If you didn't think it was controversial before, here we go. As a Christian married couple, your closest friends should be other Christian married couples. Amen. Thank you for that clap. You're my girl right there. Thank you. She looked around. She's like, all right, you jokers don't want to help. I'm going to do this for my pastor. As a Christian married couple, my, my, as a Christian married man, my best friends, the men that I open my life up to are other Christian married men. This is important. Not even Christian single men, Christian married men. Not just Christian guys, Christian married guys. Guys that are in this with me that are also fighting and working on their marriage and want a great marriage. And so together, when we come together, it's good counsel. 
where I could open up to a, to a single dude that isn't, you know, he might be a Christian and love the Lord, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. You go, well, bro, that sounds really hard, man. Maybe you should just bounce and just try again to somebody else. I don't know where that voice came from, but y'all know. Oh, that's not how my marriage is going to be. I'll tell you right now. My wife is going to cook for me, clean for me, have sex with me seven days a week. It's going to be awesome. You should find you a girl like that. Okay, buddy, that's right. You, you, if you're a Christian married couple in here, your best friends, doesn't mean all your friends, but your best friends should be other Christian married couples. Because what they're going to do is they're going to speak into the health of your marriage. They're going to speak into the life of your marriage. So I want to I tell you this. Uh, ladies, you, you got to be really careful about just, you know, going and hanging out. It's Friday night. You're going to go hang out with the girls. And you're going to go drink Cosmos or whatever you drink. Or beer. Do you drink beer? Okay, is that better for you? Yeah, go drink a good IPA, you know. And you, and, you, and you sit around the bar and you just talk about how men are pigs and men are jerks and all our husbands don't get it. And like, guys, it's terrible. You're not going to go home from that night and look at your husband and go, oh, he's just such a great man of God. I just love this guy. You're going to walk in and go, you were on the couch when I left and here you are. All drunk. You know, even, don't point at me. Don't point at me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Because people do this. Christians do this. They don't even know what they're doing. They just, oh, I don't know why my marriage sucks. And that's what you do on Friday night. And, and dudes, <laughs> fellas, don't, don't go out after work with the boys. Crack a few cold ones and just talk about how women are crazy and emotional and I don't get it, man, I don't try, but man, it's just, you're not going to go home. You're not going to go home and look at your wife and go, wow, I'm just so grateful for this amazing woman. And wow, I just want to make this marriage. No, you're, you're, you're going to be frustrated because you're, you're, you're putting yourself in environments that are not bringing you together. They're separating you. And, and as a married couple, it's so important that you guard your atmosphere. It's so important that you don't allow outside voices into the marriage that would bring separation when God is trying to unite your hearts, okay? So you want to open up to people who truly care about your walk with Jesus, who truly care about your marriage, who truly care about your spouse, who truly care about your family and future, and that don't have a bias to only see your point, but rather are, are, are just enough removed who want to see, can see the whole picture and help you move forward. And so this might happen through counseling, both personal and marriage counseling. It's going to happen by, as a couple, maybe reading Christian books together about marriage that are going to help you understand each other more. It's going to happen through, again, godly friendships like we talked about, hanging out with more experienced couples that can help you through challenging seasons in your marriage. It's that, that's why church is important. That's why small groups are important. That's why serving is important. That's why being a part of a community is important because you want to be around people that love you and love Jesus and are going to help you move forward in your marriage and, and are going to be able to help see the maybe toxicity in certain areas and are going to be able to help you understand it, how to move forward and how to get healing. So it's not just you and, and your spouse against the world. No, you're going to need counsel. You're going to need great voices in your life to help you move forward together. This will really help you. This will really help you 
number three, happy couples know you're going to need to be Christ-like. Commit, counsel, Christ-like. Christ-like. Look what he said. He said, Moses permitted you to divorce because your hearts were hard. This is something that we are all capable of. Starting with this preacher right here. We're all capable of this. We are all capable of allowing our hearts to grow hard to the Lord and to our spouse. And we have to resist it and we have to fight it. This word hard comes from the Greek picture of a candle being blown out and the wax becomes hard and becomes cold. You have to fight to keep your marriage warm. You have to fight to keep your marriage aflame. You have to fight to keep the intimacy alive. You have to fight to keep the communication. You have to fight to keep the fire in your marriage. You have to fight to keep your fire for the Lord or your heart will, will grow cold and hard. And we, we can all fall into this where we just get in a resentment towards our spouse an unresolved resentment with our spouse that grows over time if not dealt with. And, and all divorce happens because at least one person in the marriage, their heart has grown hard against that other person to the point that they believe that this is irreconcilable. And they end up leaving the marriage. And maybe you've been on the other end of that and you've experienced that as someone has left you. And there's hope for you. There's healing for you. Maybe you were that person. Maybe you go, man, I, I regret it, but my heart grew hard against my spouse and, and I left them. There's hope for you. There's healing for you. And maybe you're in a marriage right now and you go, I'm married, but my heart is hard. God can warm your heart again. God can soften your heart again by the power of the word of God and by, by the flame of the Holy Spirit. God can do a work in your heart. I don't believe your marriage is over yet. I believe there's still hope for it. So look what Ephesians 5, 21 says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Number one, uh, this is first century literature. You will not find this in first century literature. You will not find a man telling men to submit to their wives. <laughs> this is revolutionary. Anybody who's lied to you that told you that, the, that Christianity is oppressive, lied to you. Christianity is not oppressive. Christianity brings women to the place that they should be, which is made in the image of God, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, loved by God, called by God, can be ministers of God. Okay, the first preacher in the New Testament was a woman, Mary, who proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, don't, okay, let me just don't go there, but the New Testament is an absolutely pro-woman book, and in, in first century literature, Paul says, submit to each other. You just got to understand, if you were in Ephesus, and the pastor of the Ephesian church, Timothy, read Ephesians 5.21 and said, um, submit to each other. Every man in that church service would have said, say what? Because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was elevating and giving value to women. We're, we're talking about being Christ-like. That means that a marriage is powerful when we submit to each other. Now, does Paul go on to say, wives, submit to your husbands? Yes, he does. 
but not before he says, submit to each other. So don't get this weird thinking of I'm the man of the house and I make the calls around here and this is my, it's not your house, it's our house. And we submit to each other. And if you're trying to do it that way, sir, there's a reason why it's not working for you, okay? Submit to each other. Then he goes on to say, and husbands, verse 25, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I would, and I would submit, and wives, love your husbands as Christ loved the church. Both ways, we love each other, and we love each other the way Jesus loved us. So we see mutual submission. We could call that honor. We see love for each other. We see John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave. Now we see generosity because love is generosity. I want you to think about these things. Submission, love, honor, generosity. You don't have to feel any of these things to do them. We do these things in obedience to Christ and feelings follow. But I don't have to wait on a feeling to submit to my wife, to love my wife, to honor my wife, to be generous to my wife. To love her the way Christ loved her. I don't have to wait for a feeling. I do it because the Bible says so. I do it to become Christ-like. And then the feelings follow. And they always will because God will always honor his word. And I, I love what uh, Pastor Tim Ross said this week. He said, he said, Jabin, more than a date night, more than a vacation, more than getting a hobby, where, where you have a hobby together as a couple, more than chemistry, these scriptures will change your marriage. Now, have a date night, go on vacation, get a mutual hobby. All those things are great. But, but those pale in comparison to showing Christ-like love to your spouse. And we do all those other things, and, we, and it, we're, we try to do all those things. It's very practical, and I'll talk more about that next week. But, but when I'm Christ-like, it not only honors God, but it honors my spouse. When I'm Christ-like, it will not only lead to a better marriage, but it will strengthen my walk with God. And so how do, I, how do I love my wife? How do I love my spouse as Christ loved the church? Well, I look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising his shame. I look to Jesus, and I look how he showed grace, and I look how he showed compassion. I look how he showed patience. I look how he showed generosity. I look how he showed mercy. I look how he showed goodness. I look how he treated people. I look how he treated children. I look at how he treated women. I look how he treated his friends. I look how he treated authority. I look to Jesus, and as I look at Jesus, I'm transformed into his image, and then what I learn from my Savior, I now give to my spouse. And I don't have to feel that. Well, we fail out of love. Fall back in. And you go, easy for you to say. No, it's not easy for me to say. Don't say that. We're all in this, y'all. We are all trying to live godly marriages in 2021. We all trying to make it through this pandemic. We all trying to do this together. We're all trying to honor God. It's not easy for any of us, but if we'll fight, this is what happy couples know. Happy couples know that if I'll commit, and if I'll get some godly counsel, and if I'll look to Jesus, that this marriage will work. Because God is committed to the success of your marriage. And so all I'm talking about is committing to the thing God is committed to. 
So we look to him and we're transformed by him. And then that trans, that's transformation that's so deep in our heart, we then, we then show it to our spouse. This is what happy couples know. For better or for worse, I'm in it. I'm committed. And my prayer for you this week, my prayer for you over the next few weeks, my prayer for you is that you would not be sitting here right now going, God, talk to them. My prayer for you is that you're saying, God, talk to me. And maybe even this week, as you spend time with the Lord, as you are in the word, as you pray, as you play worship music in your car, I hope at some time this week, maybe just whisper that prayer to the Holy Spirit. Okay, Holy Spirit, teach me to be a better husband. Teach me to be a better wife. And if he asks you to apologize to your spouse, do it. And do it with no expectation of an apology back. You never never communicate to your spouse hoping they'll communicate back. You do it because you know the Spirit of God is dealing with you. And you never know what could happen. You never know what, what pivotal turn might happen in your marriage for the better. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And I'm telling you, there is power in that. And there's, and there's a lot of your marriage that is for better. You can have the keys come up. And there's some moments of your marriage that are for worse. But it's, it's these kind of things that keep your marriage so steady through the ups and the downs, through pandemics, through lockdowns, through financial instability, through disease, through all that is happening. Because see, your hopes, dreams, and desires, let me just end with this. Your hopes and dreams and desires that mean so much to you, those things change. They just do. Christ does not change. Christ doesn't change. My hope streams, I'm fickle. I'm into one thing one week, another thing another week, and obsessed with this one week, and obsessed with that the next week. I like golf right now. I'll probably hate golf in six months. I don't know. My hope dreams, they're all over the place. Jesus, Hebrews 13, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't build your marriage on just things you have in common. Don't just build your marriage on chemistry. Don't just build your, all those things are good, but don't just build your marriage on hope, dreams, and desires. Those things are fickle. Build your marriage on the rock that is Jesus. So that no matter what happens in life, you have a constant that is the Christ. That's what happy couples know. That's what I know. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word today. I pray that today would begin to stir in us conversations that would lead to stronger marriages, healthier marriages better communication, greater intimacy, more freedom, less shame, less secrets. I pray for every married couple in the room, every engaged couple, every dating couple that's seriously thinking about their next step. I pray that our relationships would be founded on the rock that is Jesus. Give us the courage to do this your way and not our own way. Hmm. 
You said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is a God thing. Help us to not believe the lies of culture that want to separate us. Help us to embrace the good thing that is the gift of marriage that you've given us. Hallelujah.